Get ready for a no BS approach to health and fitness. This is NBS Fitness Radio. What's up? Welcome back to NBS Fitness Radio. I am here with Randy Grierson. Randy was my college uh, football coach at Delta State. Uh, a huge influence on my life. I'm super excited to have him uh, on this podcast. Randy's background, he uh, he played college football. He was actually a center on the um, national championship winning team at Delta State. Uh, he was obviously a, a, a coach at, at Delta State for a while. Uh, he's also uh, has been involved in the high school um, arena for, I don't know, 10 years now? Yeah, 12 years. 12 years. So, yes, sir. I thought he'd have a really good perspective on our topic this month, which is athletic development because uh, he's been an athlete. He's coached athletes and he's been at different levels. So he's gotten to get a see, uh, see it from a lot of different point of view. So, uh, Randy, welcome to the podcast, brother. Thank you for yes, coming. Yes, sir. On. Thank you for, for asking me to do this. Never done All this right. before, but we're going to have fun with it. Is it your first podcast? First podcast. I've never even listened uh. to a podcast. <laughs> I know sometimes on my phone, I hit the podcast button. I don't know what I hit, but I've never listened to one. So this is my first rodeo listening or doing. So All right. I love it. Let's rock Let's with do it. it. Okay, cool. So, uh, Randy, talk to me about, um, first, being a college coach. When you, were, when you were recruiting kids, what kind of things were you looking for in athletes? What are the things that you said, you know what, this isn't something I can teach. This isn't an area I can develop them in, but, but, but these are the areas I can. So kind of talk through that, what, what you were looking for in athletes. Well, you know, it's, it's crazy because when you first, as a player, and you saw a guy that was transferring from Tennessee or Mississippi State, you thought, oh, we just, we just got better. The more the, the, over the years as you get into a coach and you, and you still have that philosophy of how much they can help you, but then you actually get into okay, so how good or how much how, how they're talented, but do they do what they're do what they're um, what they're capable of doing? And so you know, looking at over the years, and it's very it's very correlational with academics. You can't coach effort. That is one thing you can't coach. I mean, it doesn't matter how talented you are, um, you can't coach that. And I think that's one thing. And if you look, like, if, so I, I, when I was coaching, I looked at the NFL a lot and the sack leaders over the years. And, and you know, your t- 80% of your sack leaders, their draft report was plays hard, not very athletic. Um, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things. And they were low draft picks or even yep. a free agent. And so, you know, and, and the more that you, that you, I guess, experience life and you, and you see, uh, from a different angle or a different viewpoint, especially watching in high school, because you can really effort really um, profiles itself more. But but looking back, that's the one thing you can't you can't coach is effort. And and then so over the years of coaching, you start looking at you know hand placement, explosiveness. What what do they do when after the ball snap? How do they, how hard do they play? Um, or, you know, they, are they playing their alignment assignment? Uh, where are their eyes? I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that. Is how productive can this can this student be or this player be? And then you look at the program they come from. You know, have they been in a weight program? So I'll give you an example. So when you recruit a kid like from Hoover, I'm one of the, one of the first kid guys I tried to sign was from Hoover, Alabama. And it was in 2005. Rugby coach Roberts got there, and he said, "Well, he said, you think about it. They're one of the top programs in the state. You're not, he's not going to get much stronger. 
He's not gonna get much faster. He's not gonna get much. He's not gonna gain much weight. And he's not gonna be, be much. He's been coached really well for the last four years. So you pretty much get what you got. And so I started looking at things at a different angle. You know, and every year as you as you grow, you look at things a little bit different. And, and you know how how productive could they be on the field? And then you know, and then you I, then it really started making a lot of sense, which is right when I got out of it. And this is, of course, when cell phones and social media became really big. Is how hard is this child to get on the phone? You know, mm-hmm. does he answer the phone when? It, I, mean, I remember when I was coming up. Every time that co- I mean, we didn't, I didn't have a cell phone, but every time you know, I would, I would stay at home knowing he was going to call at night, didn't matter how long it took. Well, you know, some guys. I mean, I, I mean, we don't, we don't need to use names, but you can imagine the ones in California that we recruit. You could never get on the phone, and then it, it, it was a correlation between how they performed on the field. Yeah. Very athletic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did not do they, they they would not do what was executed. And so one thing is you research you look, you research Fortune 500 companies and, and why do they why do they hire former athletes or former uh, military because they do what they're asked to do how they're asked to do it the best of their ability. And that's where I think we really got lost in the world is that we look for splash instead of the people that can actually do the job. So I th- I think it's an abundance of things and I think every every time is a little different. Every time you recruited a kid, it was a little different. But you want, but the one thing that I thought you always look for is how active is, is the, the player on the field, how well he uses his hands, and how hard did he play. Yeah, gotcha. So you're looking for a little bit of those intangibles that someone just got to be born into us or slash um, taught, you know, India growing up of, of effort, and um, and then you would you would use game film to see like what was their response when the play was away from them or. Right. Were they playing a full effort every single play? Were they were they taking right. off plays? That kind of stuff. <clears throat> that makes sense. Right. If you, if, you know, because at that time, that's why when all these you know people started looking more highlights and they did full game film. Yeah. And so when you see a guy that when the ball was snapped, you had to watch five or six plays and you're still questionable. You moved on to the next guy because you had somebody to look at. Gotcha. And so you know, and when they when you when you send a highlight and they send the best that you got, and you're like, mm, I don't know, you get, you got to move on. And anyway, we would label them. Um. So, how have you seen that recruiting process kind of change over the years, uh, like with cell phones and with people being able to? Because what I remember when I, I had to put together a, a, a tape and I and everyone asked for two full game films. So it was mm-hmm. it was like highlights and then two full games. Um, how's that changed? You know, just people I still talk to. I don't think that game film. I don't think that's even requested anymore. Honestly, really. I mean, I really don't. I mean, I'm not saying it's not, but not like it used to because yeah. what you see on the highlight is not good enough. Already what you're looking for, right. yeah. And, and so you got to move on. And like I said, there's so many media outlets out there now and so many kids are available and you have to go through all of that. It's just a lot to 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 go through and you know, yeah. a lot to decipher through. So, you know, I, I could imagine now with the – I guess the lack of home structure a lot of kids have, especially in your high poverty areas, which a lot of times where your athletes are, um, you know, it's just a struggle you have just to get kids to buy in, you know, and, and to get there and do what they're asked to do. And that's what I try to tell kids now. You know, a lot of people think playing college athletics is your athletic ability, and that, that is important, but that's 20% of it. 80% of it is the things we just talked about, the things that you can't measure, but, but you can't also can't coach. Yeah. And, and that's showing up on time, doing what you're asked to do the best of your ability. 
And, you know, I mean, we, you, you could, you, you were on a team of players that were ultimately talented and had, you know, abilities to play at the next level, but didn't because of their effort. And, yeah. and, and then you, you saw others that played with maximum effort, but they didn't have the intangibles. Right. And so it's just, and, and I would, I would assume now it's probably a lot harder to coach kids. Uh, like, for example, I was talking to Coach Cooley at Dust State the other day. He said one day he lost his whole offensive line. Four to the transfer portal, one quit. In one day, in the, in the middle of spring ball. I mean, that's just, and I can't imagine how, how that is. I mean, how that yeah. is right now with kids leaving, go be a backup at SEC school yeah. because they can make $50,000. Well, yeah. you, take a, you take a child that, that, that comes to school that's never had two pennies to rub together, and you tell them, oh, I'm going to pay you $50,000, and you're going to go in the SEC. They don't see starting. They see $50,000 they've never seen, yeah. and they're gone. Yep. And you know, I think that's I think that's teaching kids how to be. I, I worry about that carrying over into life, um, yep. and you know, and so much so much about football is you know we used to talk about it uh, is apply is applicable. You know, I talk yep. to kids now about you know about playing football, using football as a way to better their life, and and you know where we are, there's never been expectations whatsoever. I'm talking about from teachers, you, the expectation was showing up for a teacher. Yep. Expectations on children is have a pulse. If you have a pulse, you're going to graduate. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not. That's not an exaggeration. So yeah. of course, I kick over ant beds every day, and I, I, I make people uncomfortable. But this is about children and helping children succeed in life. And nobody wants to make the correlation of how why there's 600 jobs open on this reservation. You know, if you're a tribal member, you can pretty much have a very productive life living. The problem is they can't pass background. They quit school because there's never been expectations. And 74% of our kids that go to college quit in the first year because they don't go to class. Because mm. you come to you look, we had a kid last year who had 76 absences as an honor roll student. I mean, okay, why'd you even come in? You're gonna be an yeah. honor roll student, just don't show up at all. And but that's been yeah. the mentality. And so, of course, that's changed a lot and it's made a lot of people because change is always hard, especially when it's changed that requires more accountability. But I mean, that's it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. The uh it seems like a lot of those things become <clears throat> decisions that are short-sighted. They have uh, they have positive aspects in the short come, but then under undercut the long long term. So passing a kid who who isn't really qualified yet, uh, yes, it gets him a, a high school diploma, but it hasn't prepared him for anything further in life. Going to um, an SC school and, and making your your um, Making the money to, to to be a backup is, is nice, but um, but maybe that that comes with a more focus on football party and not actually getting an education, or maybe it also comes with you didn't you didn't do shit in college, you didn't get to play, you just got to uh, get your ass kicked on <laughs> on the second sure. thing the whole time. Um, what do what are some of the questions you would ask? So at some point you kind of like narrowed it down. Uh, what's a question? What's the, some conversations, questions? What are you looking for when you're talking to an athlete to say, like, okay, this is the type of person I would want on my team? What's your plan? What do you want to do after high school? And that's talking to a student. That's talking to a student athlete. What, what's your plan? If, you know, and, and they say, I want to go to Okay, what do you have to do? What does it take to get to college? And then when they don't have an idea, that tells you pretty much how they, how they approach things because they put no. No plan in place. Uh, you know, have you taken ACT? No, you're going to take it. I don't know. 
it, it, it's it's a dream without without a, without a vision. And, yeah. and that's what you get a lot of times. Like I said, especially because everywhere I've worked has always been high poverty, so you have very little home environment. And you know, I, I still remember to this day that one of one of the smartest kids I've ever had. She she got a job in her senior year. This was 2015. She got a job as a senior year working at Wendy. Well, that was her income for her family. Yeah. Outside of what the government provided, and she should be, she want to go to nurse, be an RN, work her way through, get a BS, and go to uh, medical school. She's still working at Wendy's because mm. that that that, com- that comfort, and, and you know. So, and I'll tell you what really gets a lot of kids, and I've studied this for the last six years, and, and I don't know what the if there's a term, but I call it the gap, the time when they graduate high school to what's next. Yeah, you know, I can't tell you how many kids I signed in high school, and they may have been a walk on, they may have been a low scholarship, but they never showed up. Yeah, and so that gap catches them. They don't have a, a, a vision or a plan on what, how to get to the next phase. And so that's why, if you look uh, from an academic side of it, why even the athletic side of it, what, what do a lot of high schools do now? High school kids, when do they sign? They sign, they go there in, in January, they graduate a semester early, and they go. That's where that's coming from. That's the motivation behind that. Well, that's the same motivation from an academic standpoint of dual credit. Kids start college career while they're still in high school. They've invested, in, they've invested something and they continue. What yeah. happens is when you take kids from high poverty areas, they don't want to start. They don't do their financial aid and they never get started. And then next year, January becomes never. And so what's really did what's really a disadvantage to our kids is our tribal member kids can go to college as long as they want to for free. They don't pay a dime ever. I mean, they can go to. We just had one graduate from medical school. Did not pay a penny ever to go to school. So because of because then let me kind of give some framework behind this. Like, right, you are a superintendent at, uh, for a school district uh, in part of a, uh, Indian reservation in uh, Mississippi. Yes. And so, because they're part of this tribal community, they get government uh, grants, scholarships yes. to go to college. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's an endowment that you know, like I said. We have people here that work on their PhDs and never paid a dime to go to school. And I mean, I'm talking about from living expense, everything. And wow. and that's why I see, you know, there's so many, so many opportunities for these children, but they, they are provided. You, you think it's, I mean, it becomes a condition in the brain. You, you do something for so long and to change that, it's very, it's very difficult because they've known this from the time they were in kindergarten. All they've known is they, they show up when they want to, they get what they want to and they yeah. pass and their life's good. What okay? Let me ask you this then, because I think it's uh, what what I've seen, and in some cases, I, well, in some cases, you do see it work out. I think I've seen it probably not work out more times than I've heard about work working out. But the ones that work out are the ones that make make get the attention. But like a a coach will bring someone on who maybe doesn't have some of those intangibles, and kind of come from the standpoint of like, well. You know, we're going to help them kind of figure life out. It's like they've got the athletic ability, but maybe they don't have the uh, the character um, and some of those intangibles we talked about. Is ever I mean, do, do any cases come to mind where you're like, "This is a time where it did work out. This is a time where it didn't work out, and it didn't work out." And like, I don't know, things that you looked for or would have done differently. Just expand on that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, working and going into administration, you see things from a whole different perspective and you see how they make sense. And, you know, and, and looking back on, on you know, you, 
again, you, you looked at that hope of someone that can perform, that has the ability to perform, that didn't perform it, but you always had that hope they would turn, flip that switch. And looking back on it now, you're like, you know, that's, um, I'll give you a prime example. When I first started coaching, I had a, a kid come from Arkansas. He was a transfer. And, you know, because he came from Arkansas, he started as a true freshman. He's the guy. Well, he, was, he wasn't the guy, but I pretended he was a guy for a long time. And, you know, in, in looking back, like that prime example, I guess, is where it started. Is you all, well, let me, I got another one. Let me hope on this one. Let me hope on this one. And, and, and you know, if I was to go back and do it right now, it would be a whole different perspective. And I think yeah. a lot of that, too, is, is motivated from your superior, who, you know, is, is, is um, kind of pushing that as well. And, you know, there's, there's, other, there's motivators that come into that. But knowing what I know now, it would have been a different, whole different perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, like, especially for, like, the transfer down, I think there's, I mean, I can imagine that as a coach, you're like, oh, man, like, we're going to get this kid from Arkansas who played, or, or this kid who played at Ole Miss, we're going to get this kid who played at a higher level school. Um, you somewhat are just kind of already in the belief that they, like you, like you were talking about earlier, that they're going to be at a higher level. But but then the probably flip question is, like, if they're at that level, why aren't they still at that level? Right, so, so they probably were recruited on their physical abilities, which they probably do possess. But there's a reason they do not; they're no longer there. Which may be some of those intangibles. It's like, do I want to deal with those? Well, yeah, and then you got to think about from a okay, so from a college standpoint, when you sign a kid, you've invested in this kid to let that kid go. Something had to seriously be wrong, right? Because in reality, that you, you do what you do to keep them. Yeah. If he's worth keeping, you, you you do that, so you don't have to start over, and then yeah. so and then you have to go find one. So I mean, a lot of that, you know, it made made a lot of sense after the fact. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the on recruiting out of so? What are your thoughts on recruiting out of high school versus bringing the JUCO coaches in? And, and this may be different at different levels of school. I, like I just remember. Uh, my first two years, we, we seemed to, to, to sign more four-year guys out of high school, and then it flipped and became almost exclusively JUCO guys. Well, it's, it's almost one of those things that um, you, it's, it's what's available. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, uh, I mean, a lot of times when we, we may have gone to four-year, there either there may have been four year kids available, or there may not, or there may not have been any JUCO kids available. I mean, it, it's you sign yeah. the best you can with what you got, and you know, and depending on the program, knowing how they were coached is important. Um, you know, it was a big deal, and then also, but again, going back and thinking when I talked with this kid, was he hard to get on the phone? Is that going to be the same way when I try to get him to perform on the field? Is he going is he going to be non responsive? When yeah. I got to get into breakfast check, is he going to get on? Is he going to get their study hall? I mean, is it going to be just? Is it going to be a, a carousel? When if you you know going back and look at it, I'd much rather take people. I would go back now and change a lot of things because of based on that, and, then, and I would change my whole approach to how I held them accountable as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you're when you're not held to a le- the same level of accountability, and you don't really understand accountability as much because you had some players that could perform. But did they perform with their maximum effort? And that's where I go back, and it would be a whole different ballgame. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I wonder if, to a degree, maybe it was a little, 
a little difficult to get some of the kids out of high school because they might they might have had been kind of on the edge of D2, D1, AA, D1 and gone, well, but I'm not getting really recruited right now by D1, so I'm going to go to JUCO, see if I can develop a little bit more than they, they still don't. So then they, all right, okay, now now I'm going go to go to the to D2 or, or whatnot. Well, and I think, you know, as a player, you got to ask yourself, do I want to play? Do I want to sit? What, what is my goal? I mean, yeah. what is my goal in, in playing? Do I want to just – why do I want to play D1 over Division Two? You know, yeah. is, it, is it for the glitz and the glamour? Because, you know, I mean, it, I think that's – and I think that's all what you wanted. I mean, I just wanted a chance to play. Yeah. And so when, when you look at a lot, a lot of kids just have this, oh, I just want to go D1. I listen yeah. to Inky Johnson probably once a week. I don't know if you ever listened to him, but he Inky played at Tennessee, broke his, you know, messed up his, his clavicle artery or, or, or something where he's paralyzing his right arm. Yeah. And he said, you know, when he was in high school, he said, I just want to go D1. Well, I, I would love to meet him. So why, why, why D1? What, what is the difference? Between, I mean, if you get your school paid for and you get a chance to play college football, why does it have to be D1? And I think people get wrapped up on that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a thousand percent. I agree. Yeah, I think um, probably a bit of unrealistic expectations, you know, of like what it actually takes to play D1 and then go to the next level. And having, yeah, my, my joke is, because, <clears throat> you know, I, I, after Delta State, I was a strength coach at LSU. <laughs> I walked down and I was like, oh, this is why. <laughs> This is why I'm yeah. not in the NFL. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> right. And, you, and, you think, and you think at that level, you know, like when they – last year at the Super Bowl, they, they were showing how many five-star recruits played in the Super Bowl. And it was one. Yeah. They were like four, four-star, and the rest were, you know, below. And so where you really look at the difference of this, okay, so you're talking about playing at LSU. Well, if you take one starter off offense and one starter off defense off every Division One team, the draft is over. That's yeah. not considering LSU is going to have eight. Alabama is going to have nine. USC is going to have seven. You know, you're going to have those things. So this starting player at all-conference, all-American player at Ball State is not getting drafted. Yeah. And kids don't understand that. I want to go to the NFL. Okay, well, you know what it takes? You know, I'll tell you what I do a lot with kids. I put them on the wonder list. That's the, te- <laughs> that's the test. That's the test. One of our Two of our former players took one made seven, one made six. Okay, well, they want you to score at least in the 20s at the lowest. And quarterbacks, you know, but this by position, I mean, okay, you scored a six and you're playing Division II football. No. Yeah. You're a free agent. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, uh, I think what you, what you hit on earlier with, um, with some kids basically hitting all their peak and potential early on. So a lot of what these five star recruit guys are is they are, uh, obviously, genetically gifted kids who have, who are in a program that is great at developing them. So they they've already reached, they're closer towards their peak um, than most other kids are. And so, yes, that has set them up well to go play, you know, probably Division One ball, but they don't have a, a whole lot of growth potential. So then it's in the NFL, it's like, well, they peaked, they they were already peaked as a sophomore. In, in college, you know, they didn't have any room room to grow. And then what you'll see is a lot of these guys who um, had just enough to get into the NFL, and then 
and then started becoming even better players. They had more room to grow. Well, and you think the average player of the NFL is three, three years, four games, three and a half yeah. years is roughly an NFL average player. Okay, that's yeah. barely over the retirement requirement. Yeah. But I'll tell you, over the years as a principal, I've had four kids that were dandy dozen. That means they're the top 12 football players in the state of Mississippi. Yeah. Okay. And so one was 2010, one was 2011, one was 2016, and one was 2018. Not a single one of them played a down of college football. Really? One was, one was an Under Armour All-American. He played in every possible All-American game you could imagine. He had everybody and their brother paying him, offering him. I mean, he signed with Auburn. He missed 17 of the first 18 team meetings. Um, he, he, is, he is now transferred to five different schools in the last three years. He will never play a down of college football. Yeah, because he didn't have the intangibles, yeah. I mean, literally, he, he will never play. But, but okay, so you, you look at that, and I look at his high school coach, and I'm like, you allowed it. Yeah. And you've allowed this. And so, you know, the coach is there now is a totally different. He's very – he holds people accountable, and he's got a very good track record of kids lasting. You know, that's the hard part is, you know, I think about when I started, I started with 26 guys as a freshman, and I think 14 completed. Yeah. And that was honestly a high percentage. Yeah. And I think as time goes on, you know, kids, a society, we don't like something, we'll just quit. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's just kind of where, you know, and I, I, I'm entitled to play. And that's why I think this whole transfer portal is a, is a crock and it's going to blow up at some point. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely uh, that in the, um, the um, whatever it's called, but ideal the, the individual licensing agreement yeah uh, it's it, uh, it comes with it a whole new can of worms that you're opening and uh yeah you're going to see more kids you can see and it, it, it you know they really are to a degree kids it's like they're they're young adults who need guidance and and mentorship and growth and uh to be shown how, how to become you know grown men uh or, or adults but uh, you've got taking that out of a little bit because it used to be you 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 you'd uh, you'd have a coach who'd recruit you and you'd develop a relationship with and they would um, you know they would help teach you not just the sport of football or or, or basketball or whatnot but they would also kind of guide you in life a bit and now we kind of taken that a little bit out of it it's just like how much can I get paid what kind of things can I get out of it oh, yeah um, what kind of social media presence am I going to get out of this thing. Which, yeah, it probably sets kids up. Uh, again, it's very short-sighted and probably hurts well, them in the long run. Well, but it's kind of like lifting, okay? I'll, I'll relate it to this. Or we can relate it to academics. If there's not a foundation there, it's not going to last and it's not going to be sustainable. I don't care how smart or how gifted or how strong a kid is. He's never going to reach his potential if he doesn't have a solid foundation because at some point, Life, football, school is going to hit him, hit that child in the mouth, male or female, and do they know how to respond? Now, I, I, I use my wife for an example because she was grown, she grew up with a silver spoon in her mouth, never worked for anything in her life. The first day at work, somebody smarted off to her, and she was a manager, and she called me crying. I said, I told you. Because you don't know how to respond to that. And, and that's where I think, you know, that's where a lot of our kids are really missing the boat is 
they quit because they get yelled at, or they get cussed at. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, well, you talked to this kid wrong, okay? And do you think you don't think when he has a job, somebody's going to get on him when he's wrong? You're going to be there saving them, you know? Uh-huh. And, and people, that's just a, everybody gets a trophy. I showed up. Where's my trophy? Uh-huh. I told my child when, when she plays softball, they did got do not accept that trophy. Parents said you're wrong for that. Well, she didn't do anything to earn it. She struck out 15 times. No, she didn't deserve a trophy. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. we got to learn to disappoint our kids in life because yeah, life's yeah. going to disappoint them at some point. Yeah, you got to learn to lose a little bit. Um, all right, let's 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 talk about kind of ways you've seen athletic development change over the years. <clears throat> so, obviously, there was probably a big shift when you were in high school or when you were a coach in college, even now, uh, how you're seeing it. Uh, seeing it done in, in athletes in, in your school district. Like how have you seen that process change over the last several decades? Yeah, when I was in high school, BFS was a real big program. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was never – I think I think media outlets, internet, all that's helped a lot because you have a lot of opportunities to, to learn from yeah. people that do it really well. I mean, just watching videos, you can pull up anybody watching them, clean and jerk, squat, whatever. You can find a video on anything that you want. You know, it's just depending on which one are you willing to believe in. So, and, and so as, as a player, I was never taught the things about breaking parallel and squat every single time. I was never taught about shooting your elbows and all this on power playing. As a coach, I learned that. And I yeah. think looking at that now, which you go going to work with Coach Moffitt, and then I still talk to Coach Moffitt, and how much things have transformed into one-legged movements, a lot of dumbbells, just explosive movements. Um, and then, you know, over the years as a coach, we would go to NFL, NFL facilities and watching their weight programs. And they were always a step ahead of everybody because they, yeah. that's what they invest their time in. And so much of it was based around injury prevention as opposed to strength and conditioning. So, yeah. you know, a lot of that is it, just really, it's, and, and I'll tell you, for example, when, when, when CrossFit first came out, you were like anti-CrossFit. Yeah. And heck, you got a CrossFit hat on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, and you're wearing a vest. And and, and I think yeah. and I, but I also when in saying that, I think CrossFit has evolved tremendously. Um yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean I I I I I like parts of CrossFit. I don't like parts of CrossFit. I'm yeah. too old to do a lot of this stuff with CrossFit. But I do think there's a lot of value to what CrossFit does, primarily from a mental standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, the uh the crazy thing about CrossFit to me was, uh, yeah, I think in its early days, it didn't really have an identity. Uh, and so it, it was a little bit of chaos. And so you saw some smart stuff and you saw some really, really dumb stuff. And then like anything else, like that kind of filtered through and you, some of the more intelligent ways of training kind of came out of that and, and the, the dumb ones kind of went away. And that, that I felt that's when I was like, realized, uh, uh what I realized was, <clears throat> Okay, up until this point, I've kind of only focused on one aspect of fitness, strength. Well, if I want to be actually fit and be able to do a lot of things throughout the rest of my life, I'm going to have to engage in other forms of fitness other than just strength. Um, and I think in the, in, the, in the college realm, or sorry, in, in the strength and conditioning realm, I've seen, I've seen it transformed significantly where now it used to be the higher level of training only existed in the pros. And then obviously someone realized like, well, we implement this in the college level, we're going to have a a competitive advantage. 
Right. And then someone in high school realm realized if we implement this at the high school level, we're also going to have a competitive advantage. So they've kind of, you've seen it kind of trickle down. I think some of the, an area I've seen kind of, it could be improved upon is, is high, the high school trying to take developmental practices from the higher levels and implementing them in, in athletes who aren't at that level yet. In other words, we're taking uh, professional level development right. or college level development and putting it in high school. And so a lot of times what they do is they go, all right, whoever coach, whoever, whoever played college football last, you're now the high school strength coach. <laughs> do whatever you did in, in college. And it's like, well, and there's a huge gap between a mature 22-year-old exiting college and an immature 14-year-old entering high school. There's a giant uh, developmental gap there. We can't use the exact same protocols on both of those kids. But it has, we have, it's been interesting to watch it all kind of kind of flow back and forth. <clears throat> I train. I train. Uh, I've trained several college, obviously a lot of high school kids, several college guys, and, and several uh, pro guys. And um, it, it's interesting to me to kind of talk, see what they're doing at their current schools, and then kind of my, my job is basically come in and fill the gaps. Right. But what um, what are some like the the biggest? What are some of the biggest things you've seen? Uh, or biggest improvements that you've seen over the last decade? Just helping, helping. I guess everything's shifting from more of a, of a, of a strength standpoint to more of a functionality, mm-hmm. um, and being function with functional strength. You know, and yeah. injury prevention. You know, I can tell you, I, I you know, I read a lot on Jerry Rice uh, of why he played so long in the NFL. It's because he was he, he his biggest thing was his range of motion and flexibility. Yeah. And so one year when I went to the Titan, we were at the Titans training camp. Bruce Matthews was he's the only offensive lineman to start every game for 19 years. I mean, I'm sitting here, and he was roughly what 40, 41. I mean, I'm 45, and I, I mean, I couldn't imagine about four years ago playing at that level. I couldn't imagine 15 years ago playing at that level. Yeah. But you know, you, but but that's one thing that he he really focused on is his rank, being able to uh, flexibility. And if you watch, you know, and, and I still to this day, every morning I can do overhead squat. I'll tell you when I stopped doing it was about a month ago. I said, oh, I got this. I'm going to start running. I was start. I was running seven miles a day before 7 a.m. It was a mental toughness thing. I quit stretching and darn sure enough, my knee locked up. And I was like, same one I had surgery on. And I'm like, you know, that, that's where it lies. And so the only time it started feeling better when I would do downward dog, I would do some type of Pilates to stretch my hamstrings. And yeah. so I had to set me back. Yeah, that's my uh, like one thing I look at like my own kids. I'm like, we are going to stretch and we're going to maintain our flexibility because the, the the one thing that I've realized that I wish I had done was that. And there's other things obviously too, but um, not maintaining my flexibility has been has made me realize there's a lot of things I can gain in life later on. Like if you've never trained before and you're in your thirties, you can still get freaking strong. You can put on a lot of muscle. You can get fast. You can get plenty of endurance, but it takes for freaking ever to, to get it, mobility back that you've lost. It, you know, it, it's. Oh, I'll tell you right now, when I had knee surgery in 2007, I quit doing therapy like I needed to. <laughs> I still struggle to this day. 
Yeah. It's like, going to motion the left knee. Yep. It's um it's like the one thing that, that like you can't let off of it at all. Like like my my like I got tight hip flexors and if I if I take a day off of flex of stretching them out or like doing a squat or doing something that's that's making them go through their full range of motion, like the next day I'm like, God, I'm tight again. What the heck? I took one day off. <laughs> um well, if you could have, so uh, you were our, our, our strength coach for the first two years I was there, or first one or two years there. Um, where'd you get most of your, um, most of that knowledge from? Like, what, what were you kind of reaching out to to kind of learn stuff? Well, Coach Roberts was a major part of that, but then Coach Moffitt. Coach Moffitt okay. was the first one I learned from. And then when Coach Roberts came in, he learned from Johnny Long, which Johnny Long learned, they all learned from Gail Hatch. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of one of those, it's like a, just a feeder tree. They all learn the same things. They all talk pretty much the same language. Um, yeah. I think that's where a lot of it came from. Do you, looking back, do you think you'd still put as much of an emphasis on Olympic movements or you do more? Like, what, what are you, where you're at on that? I think it would more, it would be more of a, my favorite exercise is dumbbell snatch. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's a lot less stress on the shoulder, but it still teaches the same movement. Or it's a lot less stress on, on your wrist and everything. And, and yeah. so and it, but it teaches the same movement of what clean is intended for. Yeah. You know, I don't know that you, you have much more of a difference in catching a squat, catching a, a bar in, in a squat, as opposed to pulling the motion of a, of a clean and then just going to do front squat. You know, I, I yeah. understand there's some, some changing direction Parts that can strengthen your core, all those kind of things, I think are important. But I don't think volume is as important. I think when you want to work volume, you have exercises that are designed for volume, and you have some that are taught for explosiveness. And yeah. you know, which you know, I don't, I don't see it a whole lot more. Any, I don't, I don't see it, and I don't study it like I used to by any means. But just knowing that and watching, you know, the different movies, I think CrossFit has a lot of benefits to players. And I, I know there's programs that that's what they focus on. Yeah. Not necessarily 100% CrossFit, but they do a lot of that as a, you know, because 20 minutes, you can do a whole lot and yeah, yeah. You can wear some people out. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, um, when I, because I, I came out, obviously, I dealt to stay and then went to LSU and kind of took a lot of that like Olympic lifting heavy focus with me. And then I think I realized, like, man, like, there's ways you get the benefits out of Olympic lifting without without some of the risk, but then also without some of the necessities of a high coach to student ratio. Cause I think one of the or coach to athlete ratio, because one of the things I realized was I got LSU, we're coaching three, maybe five athletes at a time. Right. It's a super high ratio there. So like there's a lot of coaching cueing that's that is going on. But then uh, then at the high school level, a lot of times it's one strength coach with 50 kids. And so you can't get that eye on every, every kid the, the same. And it's, it's, and there's a bigger gap. Again, the gap between a, a, a college freshman and a college senior is, is less of a gap developmentally and usually athletically than a gap between a high school freshman and a high, high school senior. <clears throat> so like, yeah, using things like a dumbbell, it's like I can use something like a dumbbell snatch. That's easier to coach at a at a uh, at a high student to to coach ratio, and also doesn't bring with it with some of the risks uh, to to the uh, to the shoulder so on and so forth. 
and then I can use I can use an overhead squat, a light overhead squat as a as like a more of a mobility functionality movement, and I can get like the benefits of the Olympic lifting without having to do them exactly as an Olympic lifter would do. If that makes sense. Well, and I think I think also with that, I think there's two trains of thought on that. I think from a, a standpoint of developing cohesiveness on your team, when you have a single coach, it's kind of like Coach Roberts used to do. He would make everybody, he'd make you start counting reps, make sure everybody gets their reps. And so when you build that accountability, I think that will make sure he's dropping below parallel, get his butt down, uh, make sure he's not spreading his feet, all those things, and you develop leadership among your players that I think when you when you and I think that's an opportunity to do that. That's yeah. an opportunity for kids to, to learn about accountability as opposed to saying, okay, you know, we're going. And I, I think there's a place for that, but I also think there's a place for a time and a place for when you teach, when you teach those kids about give your, uh, your your kids a chance to lead. Yeah, yeah. And I think you got to yeah, be. Yeah. I think you got to be intentional when you do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. My when when I've. I've consulted with some some high schools and worked with some, and kind of my what I try to tell them is you 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 need a high coach to athlete ratio to have success. However, those coaches don't have to be employees; they can be students, athletes on the team. So, ideally, what you would see is some of your older athletes who have been through the program longer and have a better understanding. That they would be your, you know, basically assistant coaches who are right. filtering down the vision and accountability of the head guy to the freshman, say, "This is how you know the lower class, and this is how we do it here," and holding them accountable to it. Um, what uh, how what what how is it like at um, at y'all's current high school? Do y'all have a strength and conditioning program? Do you have a coach? Does it, is it run by the by the, the we have the a coach and we coaches? have kids and we have a weight room. Yeah, we don't have a program. Yeah, and every time I walk in there, I get pissed off, so I quit walking in there. <laughs> but if you could flip, you know, snap your fingers and change it, what would you do? Make sure they're lifting properly. Make sure I quit worrying about weight. I mean, I watched a kid go in there, you know, and every time I we're going to max on squat. Well, he does a he goes in there, puts one thirty five, puts two twenty five, puts two seventy five, goes to three plates, and it about kills him. You know, I mean, there's just. Yeah. You know, they and I learned this as a coach that you know when you when you watch the NFL when you watch the combine when those guys run a forty they've already ran ten full speed before they ever put a clock on them because that yeah. muscle has to be fully stretched out and so you think about I think about like now like this morning I was I don't I don't really lift a whole lot of weight I do a lot of push ups a lot of burpees things like that but you know when you when you're stronger as you get on the, the more you're um, your your muscles are warm, the more productive they're going to be, the more output you're going to get out of it. Kind of like a yeah. vehicle. You know, it's the same way. Once it gets warmed up, it's ready to go. Yeah. <clears throat> um, if, you, if you could go back and change one thing about your own development, like what would you go back and change? Like your own training prep, pro programs or whatnot. Better technique. Yeah. Well, that How would you... How would you do that? Would have taken it slower instead of worrying about pulling a bunch of weight and doing it right. Because mm-hmm. I think at the end, you get stronger by doing so as opposed to doing it wrong, getting to a point you just plateau and you can't get any stronger. You're not, you're not incorporating all the muscles, especially like a squat. 
you're not bringing parallel squats, you can't incorporate your, your upper part of your hamstring and your butt. And those are your two, those two, those muscles are larger than your, than your quad. And so that's why you, people get hit, hit, hit that spot of where they can't get any stronger. Yeah. The, uh, I think the, again, going back to the same attitude, it's like having a, have a longer term vision. I'm going to talk to like high school athletes or whatnot. It's like, you, you you shouldn't peak in your performance until you're in your 30s. So you're 14, 15 now, just starting. We don't, we're not going to hit these maximum peak performances at like 15, 16, 17, 18. We're not going to hit them until we're in our 30s. We're setting the foundation now so that we can hit those, uh, so we can hit those peak performances in our 30s uh, going forward. If we start sacrificing that, if we start doing things now that's going to have a negative impact later, that peak is going to be lower. Like you're going to get better f- sooner, faster, but your peak's going to be lower down the road. And I think one of the things like that we're seeing now with some of these players playing at a high level late, much later in life is like, oh, like, no, we, you can't have peak performance beyond your 30s. It doesn't occur at 18 or 22. It actually occurs way later, if done properly. Right. Um, it's sometimes hard to, <laughs> to get that across to a 15-year-old, though. <laughs> Things like, you know, whatever, but <laughs> well, cool, but I want to I squat 315 tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Um, all right, G, man, it's come, we're coming up on an hour. I appreciate everything. Any, any other words of advice or, or thoughts you have on this topic? Oh, I mean, just, you know, I don't know what, what, what group we're, we're really targeting, but, you know, the one thing you ever, I think can't coach is parents and, and Yeah, okay. I mean, and, and that's something that has to be trained. And, and you, you know, when you don't feel like doing it, you got to make yourself do it. I mean, I get up every morning at 4 o'clock. Sometimes I don't want to because I don't go to bed till I know I don't go to bed, but I'll sleep when I die. But I think it's, it's one of those things that, that to, in today's society, that is one thing that I think rises above everything is effort. All right. Okay. Let me add, ask you a follow-up then. So <clears throat> like I have a three-year-old, a two-year-old, a one-year-old. You have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. Yeah. Uh, inevitably, they are not born with a whole lot of effort in them. <laughs> well, um, actually they are. Okay. So well, if you want <clears throat> So you want to look at, okay, so what is the hardest endeavor a human being overcome? Learning how to do what? Walk. Walk. Okay. So that is the first challenge of effort that a child has. So, and that, that takes, and I tell, talk to kids about this every single day. It's too hard. Well, you learn how to walk. That's the hardest thing you've ever learned how to do. But because we get accustomed to comfort, we let, we let that go. And we, we, we forget that. So how do you, engage your children with that attitude of effort is good effort is good for you to take it on with a positive mindset well so a lot of times it's not a positive mindset i ask them to do things randomly because i know what their answer is going to be and they get a little attitude and so i get an attitude back and I say okay, give me your cell phone okay well, go, go do something we're fixing to address this because that is a picture of life life is uncomfortable and as much as they learn how to be uncomfortable now, when uncomfortable situations come, they don't crumble. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm very hard on my children. My wife is not. And that's why they don't respect her. My children may not like me all the time, but that's okay. 
and trying to put a, a bullet hole in their cell phone, they, they want to cry. Why don't you cry when, 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 when you didn't clean your room? That's more important. Yeah. So I, I try to make them do things, uh, going back to the chickens. I, I care less about the chickens, but it makes my children do things they don't necessarily want to do when it's raining, when there's chicken crap everywhere. They, they, they have to do those things. They got to go check on their cows. Yeah. They won't cows either. But again, it's teaching them responsibility when necessarily they don't want to, especially in the wintertime and the summertime. They don't feel like doing it. You know, I, I make them do those things. You know, I, I try to make them do things um, intentionally, like in the summertime when they're at home, they got a schedule. They have to read, and I and it's things that I can document, things that I can track. Um, I think that's that's just a way to provide that structure for for children. That, that they they will be at some point in life be expected to do. And it's really yeah. interesting when you walk into classroom, you can really tell which kids those are and which kids that aren't that have that structure. I, yeah. I go every day, I spend time in alternative school. I go every single day. I've done it for the last heck, 10 years. I, I go spend a lot of time with alternative school kids. And when I try to get them to understand is you're here because of a choice. You will get out of this, and, and what happens from here is a choice. But don't expect to get out of here overnight when what you did to get here didn't happen overnight. Don't expect to get, you know, we, we have an acceleration program trying to get them caught up in their grade because they're two grade levels behind, three grade levels, whatever. You didn't get here overnight. We're not going to fix it overnight. It's going to take, it's going to take effort and a, and a, and a, and a mindset change um, to, to, to be able to do this. But I think though, all those things are applicable to life just in different aspects. It's all a condition of the brain. It's what we tell ourselves. You know, we have two sides. You say, I don't want to get up. I want to get up. Which one I'm going to do? It's when you feed the most. And so yeah. you feed the one that's better for you most, and that becomes habit. You you develop a different mindset. But we live in a society now. I don't like it. I'll just send it back. I don't like it. I'll just quit. What are you quitting for? Can you share a success story that, of a chill child you'd work with <clears throat> that maybe had that bad attitude and came came through? Athletically or academically? Whatever your best one is. I, I mean, and I, ideally, be, maybe both. <laughs> all right. So there's a kid that said, uh, that just played at Murray State. He's he, he leading score at Murray State, just played in the got They got beat in the second round. It was a dropout. Dropped out of school, went to his house every day, got banging on doors. You're going to come back to school, got him back to school. Um, and used that as a way to go play. You know, he was a smart kid. He had everything. He just had no structure. And he, he used that as a platform to better himself. And, like, when he when he texted me that morning, they were going to play, he said, you going to watch me? I said, before I answer that, are you going to graduate? <laughs> I mean, that's what I mean. I asked him because I know what he said over the course of the whatever seven years I was, eight years I was there. We had 64 kids sign scholarships. Four of them used that to get a four-year degree. So at some point, you know, four out of sixty-four got a four-year degree, man. And and you know, and so so you look at, this, but that's that's not that's not that's probably pretty aligned in a lot of especially areas that are high poverty areas. And so, yeah. what is put into place when 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 those things when those things are, are opportunities are there? So I, yeah. every night when I go to bed, I watch the same movie. I turn it on. I fall asleep. And I, I used to go to bed so late, but I watch Lean on Me every night. That's yeah. the one about um, Joe Clark, you know, the principal in, in New Jersey. Well, that was kind of the same approach that I took into the school is that you can't give them room to breathe. 
you've got to always hold them accountable. And that's a hard thing. I catch a lot of crap because I'm always, I'm always, there's always some kind of accountability. I, I had one about an hour. Yeah. And the teacher was sitting there letting the kids sleep in class. Is that helping or hurting them? What do you mean? I said, is, it, is this helping a child or is this hurting a child? It's one or the other. It's not both. Okay, it's like being pregnant. You can't be halfway pregnant, which was hurting them. Okay, so why are you allowing it? If you, if you allow it, you approve it. So you're telling me you approve these kids to sleep in your class when the policy says otherwise. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing is we get comfortable because they're not. My, my children, for example, my daughter and my son are totally different. My son was born. He had a DVD player, iPad. Guess what? When, when he was born, as long as he was occupied, I was happy. Yeah. That's developed a, a situation with him because he's so dependent on that phone. And yeah. it's no different than a dependency on a drug or alcohol or drugs or alcohol. That dopamine that, that creates that dependency is the same thing that, that developed that, that, that an infant has to their mother. Yeah. And so we have to we have to understand that and actually assess that and evaluate that, monitor that all the time. All right. What about a academic success story? Uh, a young man that quit school. He threatened, he, well, he, he, he first day of school in 2014, he tried to bow up in front of the class. I said, well, let's give the class a show. Let's, 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 let's get it on. They tried to fight you. you. I said, yeah. I said, you, want, you said you <laughs> want to fight? Well, let's, let's walk outside and fight. You want to do it in front of them? I don't advise anybody to be a principal like I was at first because that, that, that's, that was an everyday occurrence. But when you got that child out of that environment, when he was right in, front of, in front of all of his friends, you put your arm around him and, he, and you develop a relationship with that kid. And I'll tell you that I have more relationships today with children that I start threatening to fight in front of the classroom than I do anymore. And yeah. so this particular child, he was a great track runner. He was running 50 in the, or 52 in the, in the 400. Uh, horrible home life. Uh, quit school. Mama had cancer. Uh, lost her when he was in 10th grade. Was raised by a 21 year old that didn't have a high school diploma, had two siblings at home that he was pretty much raising. And I watched that child transform from a child that fought five times his first year, fought 15 the year before, fought one time his 10th grade year, and never got another, still to this day has not been in the fight. And that child graduated. He's, I, I paid for him all of the certifications to get his diesel mechanics license, and he's doing extremely well for himself. Man, that's and, awesome. you know, and, and one of and my counselor used to tell me, you know, Dr. G, you can't save them all. I said, but, you know, there's a, you know, she used that quote, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And I said, Miss Holmes, I said, I know you've been here 28 years. I said, let me, let's, let's, let's think about it like this. Say you live back in the country where you grew up and you had a horse and that horse was your livelihood. That horse was your mode of survival for travel, but that horse, was you're, you're dependent on that horse. If that horse doesn't drink water, just like us, what happens? It dies. And if that horse is so dependent on us, and if it dies, we're going to die behind it. So I don't, I don't believe in that philosophy. I believe you got to find a way to make them drink. And so often in life, we, don't, we, meet, we, we have expectations of people when they come to us where they should be. And I was no different. I thought because the child was in 10th grade, they should be able to read. Well, I was a part of the problem because they couldn't read. So I, I blamed instead of being a catalyst to, okay, the fact is the child can't read. What am I doing to change it? And so, you know, and I think that same approach goes in case kid comes into high school, can run, can't lift weights. Okay. He should be able to lift weights, but he can't. So how do we approach that? 
and that goes any part of life. And I, and I, I have to step back sometimes and realize that, you know, especially with our principals, because I'm, I mean, I, there's things they should know how to do and they should do, but they don't. But they've never been taught how. And that, so sometimes I have to back off and say, well, maybe I need to teach them instead of assuming they know how to do this. Yeah. Well, gee, man, that was, that's uh, some wise words right there. I very much appreciate it, brother. Anytime. I enjoy it. All right. All right. Um, man, thanks for coming on. MBS Fitness Radio, out. Thank you for listening to NBS Fitness Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, follow us on social media, and check out our website at www.nbsfitness.net. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more NBS Fitness Radio.